0: Welcome back to CONST. CONST is a podcast by Scandinavian Mind about contemporary and future art, the interconnection with society, culture, technology, finance and lifestyle. The outlook is primarily at the art world from a Scandinavian perspective, although taking into account the global arena of artists, exhibitions, trade fairs and other current events. And I am, as usual, Roland-Philippe Kachmar. So this episode, I've been looking forward to for a long time. If I had the longest introduction in my last episode with Marina Chipchenko, this is going to be one of the shortest introductions, but I, I think that uh, my guest today can elaborate a little bit on his background. So Carl Larson is a third generation art dealer and art advisor based in Los Angeles and working with contemporary art and design focused primarily on the American market. So welcome, Carl.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Uh, Let's get straight to this. Karl Larsson, third generation art dealer, also namesake of one of Sweden's, I mean, most famous artists ever. Uh, What's the connection, if there is any?
1: Um, I guess there is one. I mean, it's it, it's been in the the blood, so to speak, the 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 art, at least. You know, my my grandfather was uh, maybe the start here, and uh, you know, he he would call himself a dealer, but he he started as a hairdresser actually, and was uh, more of like a businessman. He was trading gold, gold and coins, and 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 art, of course, and. As my father grew up with that, um, you know, he also started to buy paintings and auctions. And then they decided to exhibit this as, at his hair salon in the weekends. You know, he was a little kid mm-hmm. and he, he could use the space as his little gallery. And and when he was 16 years old, my dad, he opened his first gallery in Karlstad. So, uh, you know, that's, that's on that way. And, and, you know, for me, it was the same thing. I sold my first painting when I was 15 and started working with him and and uh, you know when i finished school and moved out of Karlstad, I moved to stockholm and started working at the auction house bukowskis here and was there for many years before i you know uh, started looking into my my own path and uh, i was part of, of of starting an art app uh, called artworks app um, with henry khanekrans and uh, you know did a lot of art writing before i eventually moved into art advisory, um, and, and later on moved to Los Angeles, where, where I spend most of my time today.
0: Mm, great intros. Okay, so no, no relation to Carl Arshon, the painter?
1: Not that we know yet, at least. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> just to clear that out. Uh, yeah. But I actually prefer this backstory. So. Uh, coming from kind of a hairdresser background, uh, starting a gallery or, uh, you know, starting to collect. So that's the, kind of the collecting is in the blood, right? So uh, what kind of art did your grandfather and then your father um, work with? I mean, as collectors and dealers, did they specialize in anything or?
1: Yeah, definitely. They specialized in, in, of course, Scandinavian art, uh, classic modern art. Uh, with uh, Early on, it was focused on, on the region where I'm from, Wärmland. So Verandans constant was a very, you know, in the '80s and '90s it was kind of hot uh, with you know painters and artists like Gustav and Maya Fiesta and the, the Rakian group, uh, but also you know like the the beautiful light artists, Stefan Johansson and so on. So that was the that was the main focus during that time, and my my dad uh, did a couple of shows in 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 Karlsruhe actually, where you know we had. Uh, great works of art by, by painters like Stefan Juhans on that later went on to uh, Christie's and Sotheby's on, on their own exhibitions. But um, Karlstad was never really the, the main focus. I mean, Stockholm became the, the main uh, point for him to meet his clients. And it's, you know, today the, 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 the business where he has all these clients.
0: Hmm. So do you still work with your father in this um, in, in the dealership?
1: Um, not as much since we're, you know, I'm I'm focused on contemporary art and and more international. Where he is, uh, you know, still doing a lot of Scandinavian art, but he's moved into, you know, uh, collecting contemporary art at least for himself. You know, has a great collection, uh, and uh, but that's for himself. You know, he he keeps that and, and that's not things he trade or sell.
0: Hmm. So when you were 15, you said you made your first deal. Can you? Elaborate. What did you buy or sell,
1: or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was more like a, a loan, I think, from from my parents to you know to buy something, and then I could bring this painting. I believe it was a Madeleine Peak, uh, fifteen thousand uh-huh. crowns or something, and I could bring it to the antique fair, antique messan, where we would exhibit every year. And uh, you know, I got the, a place on the wall where I could hang it, and then you know, after a week and a weekend of, of uh, pitching and introducing and talking about this work, I finally got it sold. So. You know, that's that's kind of how we started. And, you know, with that money, I bought something else and then sold that and bought something else. And then I bought two paintings and three paintings and and so forth.
0: Wow. So what, I mean, of course, growing up uh, surrounded by art and also surrounded by um, the art of making business, uh, what was it that fascinated you most? Kind of making the deal or art itself or the combination?
1: I I think, you know, uh, back then what really fascinated were the people in the industry you you know I would spend a lot of time with the the, the friends of my father who were the, the other art dealers or the antique dealers and I uh, you know I always thought they were interesting speeches because they were so passionate about what they were doing and I, I never felt like they were really working you know they were on a treasury hunt for for works that they liked and, and you know was looking for and you know, growing up with this I, I I got to follow my dad we traveled to Paris and we were looking for these you know Scandinavian masters who had left their works behind in Paris and then you know the the French uh, art dealers didn't really know what it was you could bring it home to Sweden and you would you know clean it up and find the provenance and really you know get the the true uh, you know the, the little the, the treasure behind it so it it's it's a journey that's you know, full of joy and, and, and passion, which I was always attracted to.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, I understand your fascination. So 15, that's quite a young age. So, I mean, uh, if we just jump a couple of years ahead of time, I mean, do you, you, did you mention Did you studied or did you just, uh, yeah. I,
1: I studied a little bit of art history in, in, in school here in Stockholm before I moved, uh, but it was never really something that, um, you know, I had a lot of help with you know you, you you we started watching the the auctions coming to Stockholm already when I was sixteen seventeen mm. and you would have this auction catalog and and my job was to fill in all the the prices because back then you had you know Barnaby's or you no know, Art Price or ArtNet mm. where you get the the results so you have to write them down yourself and then you saw what sold and what didn't sell and that was kind of the marker so by doing that I early on developed uh, an idea of the pricing and the arbitrage opportunities on the market Mm. so to speak uh which is you know also then what uh, allows you then to deep dive into uh each artist's um you know portfolio Hmm.
0: all right so when did you move away from sweden uh
1: 2017 is is when i moved and it started in 2016 i i got a call from uh uh, a friend of mine who was working together with a, a Swedish uh, artist, a musician, um, this was Avicii, actually. Uh, and um, he had bought this new house in, in the Hollywood Hills and uh, the walls were empty and, you know, he was curious and, and interested in starting to collect. And uh this allowed me to travel a lot to LA. So, you know, we, we sat down and we, we decided that, you know, let's let's start to build a a collection here over over a long time and, and find artists that you like to support and you know that also will look great in your home. And uh, and so we did. So I went back and forth and uh and that was kind of the start and introduction to uh my move to LA. So uh, a year after that i i moved uh, permanently
0: <clears throat> and did he have uh, like let's say a genuine interest in in in, in art and what he purchased or
1: mm, not really we started from scratch uh, and and you know really got him into the, in the history of, of of you know of course the art market and the, the artists that he uh, liked and uh, you know being in Los Angeles there's so many artists so we did studio visits and some of the artists came to the house and met him and uh, yeah it was a beautiful process and unfortunately a little bit too too short and mm. uh, and, and you know very unfortunate what happened so that, that's what
0: kind of brought you to LA and then you decided to stay basically
1: then I decided to stay, and you know, this time uh, I, I met another Swedish uh, guy from the same small town as me, Karlstad, actually. And he had a, a case study house in, in Los Angeles, in, uh, in Laurel Canyon. And this case study house was the gallery for Xiaomi International, a gallery who was focusing on Korean minimalism and uh, the Dansequa movement. And the gallery was kind of like uh, the first room to uh, meet the clients. And then they had a back room, which was uh, where they actually did the deals of secondary art with a lot of the the pop art that the uh, business partner to my to my friend, uh, who was Korean, um, his mother has, had bought a lot of pop art uh, in the 70s and 80s and brought it to Korea. And, and this gallery worked as a way for them to to kind of sell that art back to American collectors. So um, that's where I came in, I met these guys and uh, you know, we decided to partner up and they had many businesses and one of their businesses was Heston's Beds, the franchise mm. in, in Los Angeles. So uh, during this time, we also realized that Heston's was a really good business and you know, being the best within its genre, um, we got to meet a lot of amazing clients. So the people who came in to buy a $50,000, $60,000 mattress would also be potential buyers for art and design. Mm
0: -hmm. So in
1: this way, the next step was to introduce them to Korean minimalism design, but then also art. And uh, when the gallery a couple of years later closed down because we had focused more on the... Um, the the Heston's business which had developed from you know just one store in Beverly Hills until five stores in Los Angeles and five stores in New York. Uh, I also focused more on my private advisory at this time.
0: Mm. So how did you form your own kind of taste then in art? I mean because you, you, you clearly said that, you know, you transition more towards contemporary art. Uh,
1: I, I think, you know, it starts with a demand. And in, in, in this case, you know, it started with Tim. He had this house and he wanted, of course, buy contemporary art that was international and not Scandinavian Swedish painters uh, only. So um, that was the start there. But of course, being brought up in, in Sweden and in Scandinavia, that was where my, my focus was and also my knowledge. So thanks to him, I was actually forced to dive deeper into the, you know, the international global art market. Uh, but already after two years, uh, I felt like I had a lot of these clients, and uh, I met a a new business partner of mine who was a, an art advisor in LA since many years, and she and I started working together, where she had a full-on running advisory business that we uh, co partnered up on and uh, you know started serving these clients that I brought in and mm-hmm. and you know with her knowledge and her setup and uh, the team that we had uh, we were able to you know serve the clients at art fairs and galleries but the, the big job behind this was, was all the research that you do. So a Monday to Friday would majority of time be spent uh, reading, doing research, uh, practicing presentations, and you know doing these routes of, of you know the art fairs that we would walk or the galleries where we would take the clients. So a lot, a lot of preparation behind it. And that was kind of my, my art school, so to speak, mm. uh, really in the, in the international market. And she had a very minimalistic approach and aesthetic. Uh, which you know brought me deeper into that, and uh, that was also mainly because of the the clients that we were serving. But definitely, I was I was colored by by her aesthetics there. Hmm. So,
0: at some point, you m- must have thought like, should I start a gallery or not? You know, because I mean, working as an art advisor, that's kind of like one category in the art market, right? But. Uh... Yeah. I, I guess that thought has crossed your mind. And, and if so, why did you not decide to do it?
1: Um, I think life is long and that, you know, you have to take a step at a time. And who knows? I, I might do that. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's, the roles are very different. You know, If you're a dealer an art dealer then you buy for yourself with your own money and then you tell your clients that this is what I bought this is what I collect and this is what I sell mm-hmm. uh, and a, a gallerist works for the artist and you know provides them with whatever they need to perform their best and to focus on their art and while an advisor works for the client and uh, of you know being in in this market uh, of course I have a lot of relationship with artists but what I really had was a lot of relationships with high-end clients mm-hmm. who were American and who had you know, a budget that was higher than the clients that I had in, in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. So this allowed me to focus on the client and to be able to tell them that here, when you come to me, I think a small percentage of what we buy but we look at the whole world. So, you know, uh, a client the product that I just finished uh, here the the other month we bought works from Seoul and from London and from uh, Miami and from New York and from uh, Brussels and you mm-hmm. know so it's it, it allows us to uh, gather a collection that has Uh, no real you know it's it's it allows the client to 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 feel trust in in me and in you know in in the collection that we're building
0: Mm. yeah that makes sense and also I mean you can keep your independence right
1: Um... absolutely but you know that being said who knows I you know I know for sure that I want to be in the US to do this and you know a gallery in the US also maybe requires a lot so I want to be on you know at, at that level where, where that feels right. But at this moment, you know, I, I feel like the, the advisory role fits me uh, better and, and, and gives me a lot more freedom and flexibility.
0: How many other uh, people from Scandinavia or Sweden have you come across in as kind of competitors or peers, art advisor peers in the industry?
1: Um, I mean, there's, there's a few, definitely. Um, and, you know, if, if we, we, we look at the, the you know, Scandinavians, um, I don't think they are uh, that many. You know, the, the ones who stand out, I think, is, you know, Paul, uh, Paul McCabe, of course, um, and then Theo Lindqvist. Mm. um and paul yeah, is not th-
0: even scandinavian <laughs> he's not even scandinavian yeah no
1: no he was just here for a couple of years and you know brought some great shows here to stockholm uh, <clears throat> i kind of I, he feels like he's he's a little bit swedish with his with swedish wife but no otherwise it's theo you know who yeah. who has built great collections so
0: why do you think that is then because if i look for example in fashion and designs scandinavia sweden even tech i mean we are at the forefront While in art, I mean, it seems that we're far behind the international market.
1: Um, If we're just talking about the advisory role itself, I think that whole role depends on access to, you know, galleries that are global. And, uh, you know, you want to find the the best art you can find for your best value. And and those galleries are most likely not only in Sweden. So, uh, you know, then you have to be mobile and, and, and be, you know, at all the fairs and, you know, uh, at all the gallery openings and have relationships with these galleries. And in order to have a relationship with these galleries, you have to buy a lot of art. So, mm. you know, you can be friends and, and buddies with, with the people at the, the galleries, but really to get the respect and, you know, to get the access, you need to buy buy works. Mm. And for that, you need clients who are interested in the international uh, market. So. Uh, I think maybe that's one of the reasons.
0: Have you seen a shift though? In in I mean, there's uh, I mean more billionaires per capita in Sweden than in many, many other countries in the world, right? Is there a shift? There's more money now.
1: I think definitely there's you know a lot of interesting things happening uh, in 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 Sweden and Scandinavia right now where you know galleries are. Putting on programs that are a little bit more international, and uh, you know we have players here who are doing a great job for you know for Scandinavian and for Stockholm especially as a market. You know what what you know talking about Paul McCabe and what he did with bringing you know Basilitz and Hearst and and you know putting on these shows he did here. Um, you know that's that's amazing for 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 a city like this, and you know what what Carl Costael has done. You know he brings here the you know the the most interesting artists in, in the world on a regular basis, mm. and you know Monia Skolson have done it for a long time. Bjorn Vetling, of course, and uh, you know Sofia is doing it too. So uh, and you know uh, Marina and and Celine Shevchenko, um they're doing it as well. So. Uh, there's definitely a shift and uh, you know Stockholm is being more and more interesting as a city uh, in the eyes of, of of you know people I mean a lot of people in America now who thinks that Stockholm is one of the most interesting cities to travel to and uh, you know I, I, I agree The it's really it's it's up and coming.
0: Mm. I'm curious about uh, the collectors though I mean and <clears throat> this is just uh, anecdotal but Having grown up in in, in a, w- with a French background, um, I kind of grew up with this uh, notion that uh, it, when you do business, you never talk about business, and and you talk about art and culture and literature and music, and you know that that, that was kind of part of the French intellectual culture, while. The the Swedes kind of talked about weather and uh, I don't know, yeah, weather basically, and maybe golf or paddle or something, (laughs) (laughs) right? I I don't want to kind of um, talk bad about Swedes, uh, and uh, but are Swedish collectors less intellectual than international collectors? I mean.
1: I don't think so. I think it has to do with interest, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's always, you know, passion and interest is what allows you to go deeper into that rabbit hole. And uh, in order to be interested and passionate, you have to be exposed to those things. So I think you have a lot of, you know, when it comes to the exposure, you have may more, way more exposure in other cities than you have had at least uh than, than, you know, maybe in Scandinavia. And I think that's a driving factor to what really, uh, you know, feeds these these collectors.
0: Hmm. So if you reflect kind of on the art market itself globally, I mean, there's been some huge shifts in the last couple of years. I mean, the pandemic uh, influenced uh, digital transformation extensively, Uh, of course, NFTs. there's a lot of shifts uh, with auction houses, taking more and more space, uh, independent art dealers as well. I mean, what's your view on the international art market?
1: I think that the market has changed rapidly um, in the last couple of years. Mainly, uh, you know, a driving factor has been uh, internet and social media platforms. Um, and. Uh, you know a lot of these these sprout galleries that are coming up they're they're able to have smaller spaces but bring on great interesting artists that you know take off and and you know establish them as a as a, a you know a, a, a gallery to look out for and you know with their help of their their social platforms they can do shows in unique places it doesn't necessarily always have to be a gallery space it just has to be a space that you know echoes online and that uh, you know, shows good art, and then collectors will be there. So I think it's really a you know a shift that the market has been smaller thanks to you know social media and internet, and a lot of people are doing business today on, on Instagram. And mm. uh, a lot of my clients, I meet them on Instagram, and that's where we start a conversation, and then we meet at an art fair, and then we decide to go to an art fair together, and then you know the relationship is being born thanks to these connections that we do online.
0: Mm, yeah, and this is something that I, I've kind of debated a long time with um, friends. Let's say in the art industry, I mean, there's there's a lot of resistance to this as well. Where pe- there's a lot of let's say more tra- I mean more traditional gallerists or dealers who, who feel that Instagram is kind of is a threat because they don't really understand how to use these social platforms, um, and also they there might be a um, hesitance to artists that sell directly on Instagram as well, that, you know, they are not perceived as, you know, as established or they're not following the norms, etc. I mean, do, do you think that's a risk
1: for an artist today? That No, I think same thing. It's This is exposure and it's just, you know, another tool. And, you know, if you go back to the days where uh, I, you know, when I was following my dad to Paris to find something, we have to go to Paris. And look for these these works because we couldn't find them online they were not online mm. and you know most antique dealers or art dealers didn't have a website even so and they wouldn't upload their works mm-hmm. and when platforms like Barnabas came out it allowed you to get all the results where you could find you know similar works all over the world and what Instagram, for example, that it's doing is just one of these social media platforms that allows you, it's very visual, so it allows you to see works all the time. And mm-hmm. this is how people share it. And, you know, I think that's great. If you want, if you make great art, you want it to be shared. And that's the difference today, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you had a show, and it would be for the people who came to the show. And, uh, you know, if we got a review in the in the paper, and today, Thousands of people can see works from all over the world without even seeing it in person. Of course, you want to see works in person when you buy the work and when you, know, mm-hmm. you, you collect. But in order to get the word out, this is an excellent medium.
0: Mm. And talking about Instagram, I mean, you have a big account at Art Reporter. I don't even remember how many followers. 50k more, 90. I don't know.
1: <laughs> you tell something me, like but something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, did you have kind of a strategy building that account? Uh, because, I mean, I, I have not really analyzed it, <laughs> but it seems to yeah. me that you're mixing both kind of art you like, art you see yourself, art that you exhibit or you own. I mean, but is there a strategy behind it or?
1: Um not really, I think it's very intuition based and mm-hmm. you know I post things that I like, but what it really started us was um i i i i moved uh, or i spent Uh, some months in New York when I was 21 at that point I realized I'm going to leave Sweden I'm going to move to New York and I got in contact with this person who's going to help me there and I came to New York and I was ready to go out and you know I went around to all these galleries and I tried to get a job and you know they just looked at me and laughed (laughs) and you know I was in this white cube and I said how can I get their respect here so I went back home and I was thinking and you know, I, I said, you know, I came up with a name, the art reporter. Uh, so I created like a Tumblr website with newsfeed, and then I started filling it with with news information. And then next day, I printed out some cool business cards. I put on a, a new jacket and some cool clothes, and I walked into the gallery and I said, you know, uh, can you please put me on the press list? And uh, by the way, is John in? Who, whatever the name of the the gallery owner would be. And they would look at the little card and then they would type in the art reporter and they would call, John, we got some Carl here from the art reporter. Do you have five minutes?
0: (laughs) And then I would go in and meet
1: John or the, the, the director and I would ask him these questions. What would you do if you were 21 and just moved to New York and wanted to make it in the art world? And so I got all these answers and I had to post it. And, uh, and this was uh, when Instagram was just three months old. So I started posting on Instagram and with this generic name, all the galleries started following me and reposting. And, uh, and you know, suddenly it had thousands of followers and uh, it became you know, a, a platform to, to meet people.
0: <laughs> that's a fascinating story. I didn't know about that uh, background. I love it. So yeah. you're, you're a natural-born hustler. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> that, that's also a way to trust dealers. You know that they're they're good, they're good at dealing in everything. <laughs> if anything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I must admit as well that I got inspired when I changed my name uh, profile on Instagram uh, from my person name to the art bystander. It It was actually as an homage to you, because I oh, feel wow. that, you know, I'm actually just standing on the side of the art world, having a look at it. Uh, I'm not uh, working in the art world. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm,
1: you're, I'm you're the real deal. <laughs> I'm honored. No, that's,
0: that's great. That's great. Let's do it together. Yeah, I, I wish I had started uh, 10 years ago <laughs> because it's so hard now to get uh, people's attention on Instagram and other um, platforms. Yeah. Which leads me to my next question. What do you think about uh, TikTok, for example? I had a conversation the other night about this with a person in the art world said, you know, there's literally no galleries, no blue ship galleries, at least, and very few artists on TikTok.
1: Um, Not for me, at least, you know, you only have so many hours during the day. And I think that, you know, you have to uh, look at where your business is and where your mouth is. And for me. Um, It's more about these relationships that I, you know, get through referrals and from being at art fairs or going to events or being at this dinner. So, you know, I have to meet people in person and make them feel like this is a guy that I trust and want to work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, I could, you know, be on TikTok uh, and and spend my hours there. But my client is not there yet. So why rush there? Uh, before they are there then you know comparing this to Instagram and you know I started my account three months after the platform was shaped and formed then you know it it actually was a a right move because the audience was also there and like you say today I don't think the major galleries are even there but you know I'm not saying that it's not going to happen you know within the next years but I think the the, the the platform needs to be cleaned up a little bit for it to feel uh, you know uh, it's 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 not it feels very messy as it is today I would say
0: yeah no I totally agree and I I may be too old to to kind of or have too little time to engage extensively on TikTok but I, w- I uh, would watch your TikTok
1: profile <laughs> <all day long. laughs>
0: okay good I, I'll think about this over Christmas <laughs> all right but listen uh, looking back at uh, 2022 any highlights of the year.
1: Yes, many. It was a super fun year. Um, I, I think that uh, you know starting the year free. La was really fun with, with Felix, the the satellite fair there. And um, but I think the highlights was probably you know mid year through with with, with Basel or Basel in Basel. Uh, the Venice Biennale, I should say, first of all, probably was was you know a big highlight. Um, then followed by uh, Perry Plus. Uh, at Basel there and uh, I felt like in, in Paris as well as in London for freeze week uh, the fairs were just I never seen so many people uh, you know visiting the fairs the first days uh, it was packed and you know uh, it, it really felt like the the market was hotter than ever uh, and it's kind of fun to you know to be there then when 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 everyone wants to be mm-hmm. there
0: anything that stood out uh, in sweden or any other scandinavian country or nordic country
1: i think the whole summer here uh, coming back after the, the summer break was fun to see the shows at you know at uh, Karl hospitalet um i think that you know Siegfried has put on some really interesting shows here uh, through the fall and and uh, you know Vetteling has uh, you know a new team and and their shows that they put on are really interesting um, and to see uh, chipchenko's new space in Paris, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I love that space. It's beautiful. It's uh, you know, I I believe a lot in what they uh, are are doing over the next years here because their program is amazing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I personally think three highlights uh, were well Paris Plus uh, Art Basel in Paris. I mean, that was uh, as you say, was fantastic to see all the people and amazing energy and Paris is Paris, right? I mean, it, it it just attracts a certain kind of clientele. Yeah. Um, I think uh, L.A. Dreams 3 at CF was a fantastic uh, group exhibition. Uh, I, I really love when they do these kind of curated um, thematic shows like the L.A. Dream shows. And I, I, I guess uh, you being based in L.A. also enjoy when they promote L.A.-based artists. And I think fair, third... Yeah. I want to give a shout out again to Kuliss Gallery. You know, I just love the energy around Kuliss and Philip and and all the hang And they yeah. just, you know, disrupt without thinking about disruption. You know, it's just they, they do something different with a new kind of energy that I think is extremely important on the Stockholm art scene that sometimes feels a bit feels a bit traditional still.
1: Uh, definitely very important. Yeah, I agree.
0: So. 2022 was also a lot about uh, <laughs> NFTs and the peak and the crash of NFT art, uh, obviously linked to the peak and crash of cryptocurrencies. Um, do you have any personal opinion on crypto art? Uh, not crypto art, NFT art. NFT. Uh, um,
1: no, I was never involved in it, uh, you know, in, in the in the US and especially in L.A. It was you know, a big thing and I could see friends and, uh, you know, people investing into this. And, and it was, you know, I think what it did, it collected a lot of people brought them together and made them feel like uh, collectors in some form. I went to an event in Bel Air in Los Angeles where there were hundreds of people and they were all kids in their leather jacket and cool clothes and you know they were telling me about this Mona Lisa that they collected where she opens her mouth and you know the tongue goes out and it catches the stars and you know and uh, you know there I for me it's like I, I don't follow I don't get it and um, you know the more i read up on it it didn't make sense to me and and so i decided not to really dive you know deeper into it um
0: yeah i mean i personally believed still that the technology behind it all i mean blockchain um and the smart contracts, is here to stay and it's you know it's it's, it's unfortunate that the whole nft art space collapsed because it it colored in a very very negative way um that that i mean also the, the whole technology part which i think makes sense i mean there is a huge problem with uh with, with fraud in in the art space you know you want to have um <clears throat> proof of uh, ownership and consistency over time in terms of transactions and transparency so i think in that way the technology behind it makes sense but unfortunately very very colored now by the Crypto crash and the NFT crash. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see if it comes back. But I, you know, it was very pleasant this year at Art Basel Miami, uh, where you didn't have a lot of the, the NFT bros, you know, <laughs> going around. It all, up all
0: right. So, I mean, we're soon heading into 2023. What are you looking forward to in 2023?
1: Um, in 2023, I mean, on the, the home market in Stockholm, I'm really excited to see what this new gallery of public service is going to do. What you know, is that tell us space.
0: tell the listeners about public service?
1: Um, it's a, a, a gallery that's going to be on Istmalis uh, Torgh uh, in Handelsbankens old uh, location there and uh, it's Halleröd, the the architects who are redoing the space and mm-hmm. you know they're my my favorite scandinavian architects and uh, i think they never done a gallery space before so it's going to be really interesting to see this yeah
0: behind they did someone else but b- uh kind of store in central Stockton? exactly other
1: exactly. Things, yeah. <clears throat> exactly no so that's going to be interesting um peter and alexander who are the the two guys behind it are uh, good friends of mine and and I uh, you know I'm I'm really excited to see what they're going to put on because it's it's uh, it's always exciting to follow a, a new gallery like this and to you know bring in some some fresh air to the the Stockholm scene and you know that area is really interesting now with all the the sign galleries and with Chipchenko there and you know with uh, everything that's happening around it so Saskia Neumann is there and mm-hmm. you know so I I I like that you know I think it's more it fits Stockholm better than being over in the in the Gallery District by Helsing. Mm.
0: And co owned by Nordiska Galeriet, right? Public Service yeah, yeah, I think so yeah. So that's interesting as well. So uh, anything on the international art scene that you're looking forward to?
1: I mean all the uh, you know all the fairs and the uh, the, the auctions. You know I, I I think that we probably will see a little bit of a slowdown in the auction market since you know what we had here in in the fall was just just you know incredible uh, with all the the records and records. But um, you know uh, it starts again with with freeze in Los Angeles here pretty soon and then. Uh, you know, it's 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 all the, the fairs. For me, I, I travel mainly to the fairs, mm-hmm. and uh, then otherwise, I you know, when it comes to the shows, I try to see as much as I can in 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 the, you know LA and New York mainly.
0: All right, and on a personal level, I mean, do you have any uh, specific plans for next year in terms of business or other opportunities?
1: Um, I'm working on a project right now, which is uh, interesting. It's it's still uh, in process and. Uh, you know, what I can say is that um, it's 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 a space in, in Los Angeles. And um, this space is really interesting because it used to belong to one of the, the greatest art collectors in, in history. Uh, it was a, a family in the the 1920s who moved to Los Angeles after being in New York many years and uh, they lived there between the 1920s and 1950s in a beautiful house where they hosted uh, uh, Marcel Duchamp lived there for for uh, many, uh, he spent a lot of time there at least and then you know Man Ray and Max Ernst spent a lot of time there as well. Um, the house was decorated with a Brancusi Uh, entrance. Um, So it was really a place in LA where um, modern art was, uh, you know, gathered and collected long before LA had their first art museum. Uh, So, you know, 10-15 years before LA had their first modern art museum, this house hosted some of the most incredible uh, modern, you know, masters. And they had... Uh, I think the biggest collection of Marcel Duchamp works. Uh, they had about 14 Picassos. They had 10 Brocks, um And and this what house. What is the name now, of the
0: house? I mean,
1: it used to belong to the Ornesberg family. So okay. um, the, the the deal is not yet uh, settled, and and you know, keep my fingers crossed. But <laughs> but this house is going to be a big player in what's going to happen next year. Hopefully.
0: Wow, sounds fascinating. Well, listen. Carl, uh thank you for a great conversation you're not uh, only a smart art dealer but also a very nice guy which i appreciate and for all the listeners out there check him out the art reporter on instagram theartreporter.com i will also uh, extend uh, links in the show notes Call. thank you very much
1: thank you roland this was great always yeah. good to chat
0: and i wish you a happy new year as well
1: same to you merry christmas and happy new year
0: so, this was uh, the last episode of CONST of 2022. Thank you so much for <clears throat> listening to us. Uh, it is a podcast by Scandinavian Mind about contemporary and future art. And... Um, Next year we'll come back uh, with many more episodes, meeting the artists, the galleries, the dealers, the wheelers, all the people behind uh, and in front uh, of the art space. Uh, Looking forward to meeting you all. Happy New Year. Take care.